Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. This is the writer's room. Mel Brooks, Wayne Fetterman from Plantation, Florida. And we spend a half an hour punching up what he wants to do, back and forth, riffing, write it down, da 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 And then afterwards, seeks me out. because hey, we did well. We did well. What just happened? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're having another stellar week. I'm so excited to have the show today with Wayne Fetterman, the first of two parts. He's an amazing, amazing person in the industry, and you're going to really, really love him a lot, almost as much as his peers love him. Before I get started, I just want to let you know that I am so incredibly grateful to all of you. I will never stop saying it. Thank you again for all your support. You are truly incredible, and you're what keeps this show going. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter, or you can reach me at BarryKatz.com, and I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can hopefully before 2027. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. Buckle up. Wayne Fetterman is a stand-up comedian, actor, writer, producer, historian, and adjunct professor at USC School for Dramatic Arts. He's a 35-year veteran of stand-up comedy, performing with the likes of Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams, Sarah Silverman, Jerry Seinfeld, Adam Sandler, and Bill Hicks. He's an Emmy-nominated writer who has received three Writers Guild nominations as well. He began his career as a stand-up comic in New York City, incorporating the music of Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix into his act with an electric ukulele. Not too long after, in Los Angeles, he began booking television commercials and landing small television roles which snowballed into higher-profile movies, like roles in Legally Blonde, Fifty First Dates, 
the 40-year-old virgin, and stepbrothers, among others. He's appeared in numerous television programs as well, such as Curb Your Enthusiasm, Crashing, Silicon Valley, Shameless, Community, Transparent, and The X-Files. He moved back to New York again in 2009 to help launch Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Fetterman has his own special on Comedy Central and has appeared multiple times on The Tonight Show with Leno and Fallon. He's also written special comedy material for Mel Brooks, Kean Peele, Tignataro, Andy Samberg, Seth Rogen, Megan Mullally, Fred Armisen, and the Muppets, Statler and Waldorf. Additionally, he's provided voices for the animated series The Wild Thornberries, King of the Hill, and American Dad, as well as the voice of Cartoon Cartoon Friday on the Cartoon Network. Wayne also ran the Wayne Fetterman International Film Festival for five years. It was an incredibly interesting and authentic and original film festival that featured comedians screening films they loved. Feature speakers showcasing their films were the likes of Aziz Ansari, Kathy Griffin, Sasha Baron Cohen, Patton Oswalt, Zach Galifianakis, Bill Burr, Margaret Cho, and the late Gary Shandling. One of my favorite things Wayne has done recently is co-producing Dinner with Dawn, the AARP web series with the late Don Rickles, with the likes of Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Vince Vaughn, Billy Crystal, Amy Poehler, and many, many other great comedians. Fetterman also co-hosts, writes, and produces the popular podcast, The History of Stand-Up, where he's featured people like Shecky Green, Mike Brabiglia, and the great Lily Tomlin. He's currently co-producing HBO's George Carlin documentary with Judd Apatow, and his book, The History of Stand-Up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle, is being released this month. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man who once ran the New York Marathon in a time of 5 hours, 13 minutes, and 15 seconds. What an honor. Please welcome Wayne Fetterman. Thank you. Thank you very much. Fairy My cats, right? Pleasure. That is correct. Yeah, this is our fifth. We're into our fifth minute. That is. This feels good. It's good. I feel very Jewish. <laughs> because. Because you're like your shoulders are up. It's like two Jews oh, that are they're hanging out together in a. I'm an aldecaca. So you know all the Yiddish expressions. Hawk me a china. Yeah, yeah. Taking my kishkas out. Right. What uh, about I got a schlep over to that store? Schlep is a good word. Yeah, yeah. Schlub. Schmeckle. Just a quick question, just because we've never really talked about it. you. Were you born in Boston? Are you from <laughs> Roxbury? Where are you from? I thought you were going to say, were you born a Jew? <laughs> you know, just for the audience, what he said, he's like, were you born in Boston, Roxbury? Like, Roxbury's <laughs> like Compton in Boston. Do I look like... So you're from Roxbury, right? I, you, you went to Roxbury Junior you, High. Did you grow up on the corner of East Boston and Die Whitey? Is that the place where I you... never said it. I it's like, this might have changed. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really, I, I, I can't compete with you. You're not from Boston. 
I grew up in Longmeadow, Massachusetts. Oh, I next to near the basketball (laughs) method, near the basketball (laughs) hall of fame, and then I I went to Boston University and started doing comedy there. And then right, this is for your podcast. No, I love it. No, the the history of comedy in 1980. I'm always interested in people like where they went to high school. I feel like it's very for some people. It's very went to high school with Mark Cohen, comedian Mark Cohen. Yeah. Yes, we did the in... talent show together. Have you ever seen Punching the Clown? No, I haven't. Oh, you got to! He's incredible in that movie. Yeah, that's Henry Phillips' movie. And anyway, sorry to put you on the spot, no. but I love Co. He's in Vegas, right? Yes. Some people go to Vegas. Las Vegas. You know, well, what I'm I like about. I like Vegas. It's good. Yeah, yeah. It's good. I have so many things to ask you. Let's do it. I just wrote a book about the history of stand-up, so we can talk about that or we can just talk about Wayne. Oh, Whatever you want. Man, I didn't know about the book. No, I'm kidding. Of course. <laughs> I love the... Where is the book? You were supposed to bring it no, here. No, I don't. It's not out yet. Oh, okay. Comes out. Don't, I thought there was a galley you were going to bring here. Oh, shit. Did you have a galley? I do have a galley. I should have brought that. I've never had a galley book signed over to me. <laughs> But then again, the audience might not know what a galley yeah. book is. The galley book is the book before you actually publish the book, so you can check it out one last time with tactile functions to see if it's laid out properly. Absolutely and correct. I don't know why they call it the galley, though. But That's a good question. Yeah, I don't either. I don't right, either. We're going to have to find that But out. I do know why they call people who do dirty material blue material. Why is that? Because in vaudeville... Before our time, way before our time, they were very strict about what you could stay on stage. And after your first night, if you got, they would write down any offensive words, put it in a blue envelope and leave it in your dressing room. And if they weren't excised in the next show, you were fired. And then you get the pink envelope. Right. And then you're That's late. That's where the pink's left yeah, They yeah. had to color code your, your I stages. Know. I guess like... the people back then didn't understand, take this word out. You couldn't say slob on stage. Why not? Apparently, it was a low-class word. Things change, obviously. I'm gonna have to eliminate that from the century. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Will we get ready to do a lot of cutting? I want to share this with you. This makes yeah, let's cut do up. it. Let's do it. So you've never sat with me really before that much, and these guys will tell you that I don't really banter that right. much with like that's all like the back and forth. But I'm adept at it when called to do it. <laughs> But nobody's really called on me to do right. it that much. And then I find myself in the first five minutes of this interview throwing out jab after jab and you're uh-huh. matching jab after jab. And it's amazing. And it's an amazing feeling. It reminds me of those tables uh-huh. and those comedy clubs where you used to sit across from people or go on the street uh-huh. of the Boston Comedy Club and Patrice O'Neill is shitting oh on yeah. Kevin Hart and Kevin Hart's trying to punch back. Yeah. And, so it's great. It's great to have you here. And, and I do have so much to ask you. I think the best way to start chronologically <clears throat> yeah. is take us back to where you grew up, the dynamic economically in the household, oh. and what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy business? Okay. Before you we go there, I have a really good memory. So I could spend two hours just on junior high. So just know that. Just be careful. Okay. I'll so, cut you off. Okay. So please keep it, keep me. All right. Yeah. So where am I from? I split my child. All right, stop there. Let's okay. go to the next one. I love it. I'm fine. He's on fire. <laughs> He's I'm on so, fire. I'm so sorry. 
This I is, love it. This is awful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Not a problem. I promise I, love, I won't do that Can again. I say something that, just piggyback on what you said, that I think one of the great things, and one of the reasons I love being a stand-up, is I love what they call the hang. I love it. I don't even like it. Especially with, because even bad, com- like, most comedians, like, they're, they're, just, they're just smart, they see the world in a different way, and it's kind of just fun to hang around with them, right? Wouldn't you say that? Absolutely. Yeah, so I really, I miss it. That's, I would say I miss half as much as being on stage. Really? Yes, yes, sir, that's, uh, that's honest truth. Before we get into your story, yeah, what was yeah. your favorite comedy club to do the banter in? Well, <laughs> it, it was kind of a split between a couple. Um, I, I was kind of the comic strip was sort of my club, and then Catch a Rising Star was my secondary club. So both those rooms were really fun to just sit around and just go back and forth. And, you know, this is like height of comic strip. So like Eddie Murphy would come in, and we'd watch Tonight Show's together right there at the bar watching there was like a tv above the that little closet and i remember yeah so anyway so i would say that one and then obviously out here i was like a kind of an improv guy so yeah really i just love it i love learning about people i'm super curious um so you're from connecticut is this what you told (laughs) me that's my okay i'm stupid so go back to where you grew up so i split my childhood between two places silver spring maryland Okay, I thought you were going to cut me off. And then a little place called, it's very offensive. It's maybe the most offensive name for a city in the country. It's called Plantation, Florida. It's a real place. Have you ever heard of it? Yes, I have. You have? Have you ever been there? No. Yeah, so those were my, that was my childhood. So, so you, obviously your parents were divorced. No, not at all. Thanks well, that, for jumping to a conclusion what and am being I wrong. I'm being sorry, wrong. I was wrong. Anything else you want to get wrong about no, me? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh no, they, uh, I, I, no, they moved. My dad had a, this is actually what happened. Real Your quickly. dad had a plantation. No, my dad okay, owned, no. My father had a drugstore in Washington, D.C. In 1968, I don't know if you know what happened, crazy riots after Martin Luther King got killed. Couldn't get insurance for that drugstore anymore. So it was like, all right, what am I going to do? This is how I'm making my living. I'm a druggist. Where in America is there a big demand for drugs? He Let's go to Florida. You couldn't get insurance? Yeah. The, what do you mean insurance? In case they broke up the place? or I'm mm-hmm. In other words, you need insurance to run a business. And then like in that city, that part of the town was like so bad. They were like, we can't. Yeah. I mean, we can give you insurance, but it would be exorbitant and you wouldn't be able to make a profit. I guess you could get it, theoretically. So he went to um, a place where there's a big demand for prescription drugs. It's called Florida because there's a lot of old people there taking a lot of drugs. So that's how we moved to Florida. So I moved down there in 69. So you didn't really split your time. You just moved from there to... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I was... You're right. You thought I went back and forth. Could you just say that one more time? That I was you're right? correct. Okay, good. Thing. I'm wrong. Just checking. Yes. I always love hearing <laughs> that. <laughs> Um, no, I split my childhood between two places. Got it. So Silver when did Spring. you move? How old were you? Ten. Got it. Yeah. So what was the first inspiration to get into this crazy business? Oh, 
it was I all because I had like older brothers and sisters, I felt like, you know, I was the classic, the youngest. And then my parents had a couple more kids, but for a long time as the youngest, so I was always sort of like needing attention. And I think that's where it came from. And then in school, I'll give you a great example. Fourth grade, Silver Spring, Maryland. There was a an assignment to do a book report. I don't remember the book, but this is what I remember. Teacher was like, you can do an oral book report or you can do a written book report. I was like, well, everyone's gonna do oral book report. This is gonna be great. Myself and one other girl were the only ones that chose oral. I was like, oh, oh interesting. Like, who would wanna do a written book report? <laughs> that sounds insane. You get to be in front of the whole class, talk. You don't have to write it. You can kind of make riff it out. So I knew already this always in plays, those things. I kind of liked being on the, on the stage, like the attention. And then in high school, um, I was a funny kid. <laughs> a funny kid. And then I got into this is humiliating, but I hope you can handle it because I know you think of me as in the high esteem, right? Yeah, I did uh, ventriloquism in high school. That I know. Okay. Yeah. So I did. And I know that was your first thing. That was my did. first thing. And now, that one. Now, but what ventriloquist on television inspired you? Which one? This is where this ties into the book I just wrote. It was none on television. It wasn't Sherry Lewis. It wasn't Paul Winchill and Jerry Mahoney. It was the radio comedian Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. I loved the writing of their bits. And they were starting to send, put those old radio shows on called records this kid over here knows what they are right and so on what they vinyl is i think what your generation likes to call them so uh so that was the start of it so i just and that's how i got into comedy history so i've been a stand-up history buff since high school okay so you're how old are you when you do your first set as a ventriloquist uh that's a good question good question i was probably 15 15 in Plantation, Florida. In Plantation, Florida. In your high school? I did it. First, I think I did it at a church, and then I did it. But I did do the talent show. I did do, we had something like a, um, what's the word for it? Like a beauty contest, believe it or not. It was called Calendar Girl, where the, the hottest women would all compete. And they'd be like, oh, you're January, you're February. And they'd make a calendar out of it. So they had a big show. I did it there. went very well. And then, believe it or not, final performance high school, I performed at the senior prom at the Breakers Hotel, Palm Beach, Florida. The Breakers, the famous Breakers yes, Hotel. Yes, the famous Breakers. You know it? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, four, five-star hotel, one of the few. So I've never had a chance what? to ask this question ever. Let's do it. What? When you're starting to cook. <laughs> figure out how to compose and put together your act as yeah. a ventriloquist, yeah. how does one decide the aura and persona and look of their first puppet and find the puppet where the hand goes in and where back in those days did you, there's no Amazon back then, Correct. where do you find a ventriloquist dummy that fits the persona that you want where does somebody get something like that yeah you say you're going to ask one question that was like five sorry that was uh, is that kind of the, is this the way it's going to be you're going to set it up and then okay 
apologize. I'm so sorry. He's a liar. All right. Here's what we got. Yes, there was no Amazon back then, but there was a magic shop that had a ventriloquist dummies, and they were selling them. Juro Novelty was the name of the company, and great question about the persona. I literally lifted the Charlie McCarthy character from Edgar Bergen, because no kid's going to know who Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy is. So they had the doll? They had a, they had a Danny O'Day doll. That's what I bought, but you it, basically it's that, you know. Hello. Hello. It was that guy, you know. So uh, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You know, that sort of thing. So, um, and so that's it. I lift, no one, those kids don't know from Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. They barely know, you know, George Carlin so, or Cheech and Chong. I guess those were the big comedians at the time. Has there ever been a ventriloquist <laughs> act? I just love watching the wheels. I love watching the wheels. Go. <laughs> you tell me to keep moving. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Has there ever been a ventriloquist act? Yeah. Where the dummy was the straight man? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, um, no not that I know of. But can I say something about ventriloquist? And it's humiliating. Obviously, I graduated a virgin. I mean, it was not, it's, it's humiliating. But... You mean you don't get laid when you have a puppet? <laughs> we had get Buford and me and Stacy, we went to the prom together. <laughs> so it's not a great So the dress doesn't fall to the it's floor not, it's when not, you're, it's not the a dress great doesn't scenario. fall to the floor right, when exactly. you have your hand up somebody's yeah, yeah, ass. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but here, I know we make fun of ventriloquisms, myself. I haven't ventri- made fun of them. Ventriloquists, ventriloquists. I haven't made fun I of do, them. I do, I do. But I was looking at the, do you know the Forbes list of the top 10 touring acts? Yes, Terry Fader's right up there. And Jeff. Yeah, they're Jeff right Dunham. up there. Yeah, Jeff Dunham. It's incredible. Like, they're still super popular. So, anyway. So, what you're saying is you made a mistake. No, I, I got, I wasn't a great ventriloquist, but it was funny. Did you just say great ventriloquist? I said I wasn't great at ventriloquism. How many great ventriloquists do you know? Well, I think both those guys are incredible. Yeah. yeah, Terry is like I saw him in out here in Palm Springs last year, right before the shutdown. But I'm talking about back then. What do you mean? There were some really good ventriloquists. There was. I'm talking back then when you're doing your thing. Who was on television? Oh really? no, there was nobody. Yeah. Oh, and that's not true. Willie Tyler and Lester. That's right. Right. That's right. And so I'm I'm just so fascinated about this. So how do you make the transition from doing these talent shows and doing whatever to realizing, like, this is not for me and I'm going to do something different? No. Well, what it was was teachers just uh, would encourage me to become a comedian because it was funny in class. And I wasn't disruptive. Like, teachers, like, I always thought there was, like, kids that were disruptive and funny. And I always thought, like... That's hitting from the ladies' day. That's easy. Anyone can do that. But if you can make the teachers laugh and the kids laugh, so that was always my goal. And they encouraged me. And so I went to, so I immediately, by the end of high school, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. So I decided to have a two-tracked career. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian who could also act. That was my goal. Stand-up, so I went to NYU drama so you knew immediately i knew by the end by the time i graduated by the time the breakers show had happened the famous breakers show that i've never spoken about before 
Yes. So you were experiencing audience feedback in a big way <laughs> as a stand-up, but as an actor, you weren't experiencing well, that Well, I was in plays. Feedback. No, I was in plays in high school. And were they funny roles mm -hmm. or were they dramatic roles? Always funny. And you always killed as an actor. Well, I thought I had a, yes, I, I did pretty well. But there was other kids that were f talented, but I just like, oh, this feels good to me. Got it. And I thought it was like, you know, I don't know. There's, I actually have, I actually have from my guidance counselor, like a piece of paper that, where they have this whole book of possible op occupations. I did that. What is it? Tell me, what is that book? I don't know, but they made you take this test and you did all yeah, the thing yeah, and yeah. then they and then at the end they sit you down and you're like, nurse, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I didn't know I was right. supposed to know. But it told, told yeah. me I was supposed to work with disabled kids and adults. Oh, really? Because you're empathetic? To, and I was supposed to be an entertainment. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I had the same kind of thing. I don't know if we took that whole test, but I still have those pieces of paper. It was like, this is what an entertainment. Most people don't make it. But at the high end, there's a lot of things. Expect to get a lot of rejection. This was all on a piece of paper. And so, and then by that time, I was watching The Tonight Show. So I kind of knew other people's stories. And young comedians were very hot at that point. So what do you go for first and most at NYU and when you're in New York City? Do you go for comedy first, acting first? Or are you trying to balance both and put I the attention to both of them? Trying to attention to both, but I think if that's a very insightful I keep complimenting you because that's your second good question. I have to say this. I feel like it was I was leaning way more cut for comedy at that time. Why? Because it's a, that's... Instant not, feedback. Yeah, no, I don't know. Just natural. I just feel like I was a naturally kind of funny kid in a weird way and... Um, I, I don't like even like Stella Adler, who I studied with, like she's she's a very serious group theater came out of like the progressive movement of the 30s. And so she's all, you know, she's into Chekhov and all of the and I'm into Neil Simon. Like, I really thought that like that's the kind of acting I thought I would excel in. Not. Um, Here's another question. I've waiting never, for lefty or uh, I've never asked you this before. Let's do it. Would Stella, if she, because obviously I never met her yeah. and you're so fortunate and anybody listening or watching this is, you know, to have somebody sitting across from somebody who spent time with that person, it's like, that would be like being able to spend a month with Larry Moss right now if you mm -hmm. could figure out how to get him to, awesome. or pay the money to do it right now or whatever, yeah. it, and probably to the 10th power. So if she saw a Neil Simon play yeah, and the best performance that they could ever give and she was in the audience would she walk home saying yeah that, those actors were just that was shit I don't think so but I do think that she would think that those she would call them diversion plays that were just that's there for light entertainment you go to see Plaza Suite you go to see The Odd Couple that's for diversion. She thinks theater is to move society to, like, um, what's the one? Uh, <laughs> the guy, uh, the the, the sale, death of a salesman, like that kind of story, where you're like, oh, the people in the audience are like, oh, that's me. I'm spending my life 
hawking, whatever it is, and I'm missing my sons growing up. And they're like, that's a powerful night of theater. I think that's more what she was into. I know that you might not know the answer to this. Was there the kind of play that kind of crossed over uh, into that that she would be accepting of that was part diversion and that's a part... Good question. Um, let me think. I, You know, there wasn't at the time, it was like, you know, we did a lot of Shakespeare. And Shakespeare had comedies as well, so those were diversions, so I guess... But she was way more into, like, Richard III than she was into the As You Like It or, you know. And so you're studying with her. How many days or nights a week are you with her? Oh, we did, it was three, I think it was three classes a week. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Oh, it was, it was intense. It was intense. And then where did you go on stage for your first stand-up performance as the new wayne fetterman without buford yes well i auditioned for the improv at the improv on 44th street did you practice anywhere before you auditioned nope, nope. just wrote out what i think would be at the old improv on 44th and 9th yeah 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 was this silver was the, there then yes yeah silver the, friedman bud friedman's yeah. uh, wife who and took I, over that class. and this is before like just as i was going to college like the first thing so uh and just to see what it was like on stage and didn't had a pretty good set i still have the set list from it but why did you decide to get rid of buford in new york city <laughs> Well, there was kind of a cross fade where it was, because I knew I wanted to do stand-up. I think I was just too afraid to risk it. And that's why I kind of got Buford. Because it's, in a way, Ventrola Goodson is a magic trick, right? You're sort of like mesmerizing them with this, oh, what's going on here? This is fantastic. Um, so uh, so there was a crossfade. So I did do a one-person show at NYU called Comedy Tonight. Buford was part of that show. I did like a Jerry Lewis impression. I did some stand-up. I did just a kind of a variety show. So, but I always had Buford on my resume. I'm jumping a little forward so to tell you where it ends for him. I always had Buford on my, I mean, ventriloquism on my resume. Don't they tell you to do that? Like, if you can do anything... Put it on your resume. You might get you a job. Skill stacking. I never heard that term. Say it again. Skill stacking. What does that mean? Tell, look at the camera. Tell them what it means. <laughs> skill stacking <laughs> is when you... Stack skills is when you become proficient and master skills and then go to another. I heard that for the first time from a guy named Jordan Harbinger, who's a great podcaster and a great man. It's called... I've never skill. heard that. Yeah, so it's like you try to master... Like, for instance, our producer here, Wes, he'll try to master the camera, and then he'll try to master the lighting, and try to master sound, and then try to master green screen, and then uh, you put it all together, and then you're proficient in all different areas, directing, right. and then runway modeling, and it's a really good, you mastered the knee pads. I see it. Uh, this is... Um, no okay. comment. I don't want I'm to, not gonna I don't comment get canceled. Come on. Come on. All I right. knew it wasn't for that. Was, <laughs> come on. So keep going. So, so I'm obviously <laughs> skill stacking, right? And so I had no, I can do ventriloquism. I'm not great at it, but I can do it. So I go for a Minute Made Orange Juice commercial call in New York looking for ventriloquists. And I'm in a room with maybe 
25 ventriloquists and they're dummies and i'm just and they're all it's the scary it's like and a lot of times the heads are off and they're like oiling up the eyes you know what i mean so the eyes shine so it looks like a a mash zone it just looks like carnage like all these half bodies and and they're talking to each other let me in the box let me out of the box you know that kind of thing and i just at that moment was like I don't think I can be part of this subset of show business anymore. Did you walk out before the audition? No, I tried to do the audition because I am, that's, by the way, one of the keys to my longevity is I am persistent. I'm not saying I'm talented, but I am persistent. So I'm like, let's try it. And that was really the end of Wayne Fetterman and Buford. Now, what would have happened if you got the minimum? I know, I know. I know. Like, who you knows? Should, I might have should, been on Sugar should, Babies. Ron Lucas. You should, send, you should send that casting director a fruit basket. Like that casting director saved your career. I know, I know. I, well, I wasn't great. I knew I wasn't great at ventriloquism. I couldn't really master the technical part of it. So, uh, but I was I was funny. So that was the end of that was the end of Buford. And then it was straight. I was like stand up and acting. And the first part of my career from NYU through 1986 was I I auditioned for a commercial. Didn't book anything. Zero. Couldn't get a SAG card. Really frustrated. To this day, How still... How are you paying rent? Well, I had uh, day jobs. I had day jobs and I do stand-up at night. What I were worked... you doing during the day? Have you heard of the Otis Elevator Company? Yes. Yeah. I was the Midtown Manhattan Service Dispatcher Assistant. And they actually offered me a full-time job there. I was really good at it. So people would... If you have an elevator, <laughs> if this interests you at all, I'm sure you've never spoke about it. By the way, they move the equivalent of the world population every 11 days. That's their slogan. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, Is this the elevator pitch? Yeah, very good. Look at him. He piggybacked on what I was saying. That was good. <laughs> so they had a... Uh... So anyway, if you bought... If you had an elevator in your building, like in one of those brownstones, you could buy a service contract which means like if something goes wrong, you call us and we fix it for free during the day. So people would call me like, oh, it's not leveling. That was kind of a big thing. It was like, it's not leveling correctly. But you know who called me? Who had an elevator? Because his, his elevator wasn't working. There was a weird sound. Irving Berlin. Holy I shit. spoke on the phone to Irving Berlin and now I'm talking to you. Holy shit. Yeah, I know. That's I know insane. he doesn't know who that is, but still, it's incredible. I'm he, not even going to tell the audience. No, no, no. It was it incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he was like on the... Uh, the Stella East, uh, Adler and Irving Well, I, yes. I spoke to Irving Berlin on the telephone. And you fixed his elevator. And, uh, well, I sent the guys out to do it. Yep. Hey, this is Irving Berlin. Why didn't you go out there yourself? Oh, I, I went out there. I'm not trained. I was only trained to take the call and make the call. That's all Can't I could do. fake it? I, I wasn't like the ventriloquism? Stack, I was not stacking my skills at that no, time. No, you were not doing that. But. So the first time you went on stage, straight stand-up? I'm talking about as a stand-up. Oh, my God. All right, let me think if I tried, if I did any... You know, junior high, two hours of stories. Here I'm talking no, about no, your no, first no, stand-up. No, 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 I know, I know. But in a club, like, I'm trying to think, because I want to be precise, that's all. I think the first time on stage in a club was definitely at the improv auditioning that that time. And I remember I spoke to a comedian. I don't know who he is. He's an African-American gentleman. And 
Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. He said that uh, this is how he described comedians to me. Because you had a pretty good set, you, know, you know, you might have a good chance at this. I go, thank you, thank you. He goes, uh, yeah, it's like a, uh, it's like a drug doing comedy. It's like a drug. A lot of these people are just addicts looking for that next thing. In this room, just look around. It's like, oh, already intense. Like, well, I didn't expect that. So, and there is some truth to that, I believe. You know how there's certain comics who, the rare ones, yeah, where they're tremendous, but it's not a drug for them. Uh huh. It's just like breathing for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for you, was it a drug? No, I don't think it was a drug. I mean, again, I like the hang, I like the socialization, and I liked this part of it. I really liked the writing and the figuring it out. And so you went up with no <coughs> props, nothing, just straight no, no, stand up. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did the ukulele come in? Pretty early on, pretty early on. And why? Well, I love comedians that use music. One of my favorites was a guy named Victor Borga. Of course. Well, do you know Victor Borga? He's saying no. So he's why? Six, he's sperm, this kid. He doesn't know anything. Well, I'm just saying. How would he know that? Victor, so, Victor Borga died <laughs> three decades before he was born, probably. All right. So. I mean, he could do <laughs> he, he could do up? like an hour on a piano bench, yeah, uh, yeah. messing around on the <laughs> piano bench, and you didn't like it. Yeah, just sitting at the piano, just sitting yeah. and restarting and sitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I really adored him. What and about then, the Smothers Brothers? Yes, but I you know I'm not a comedy team, so yes, I did like that. I didn't knew I wasn't going to be doing that kind of thing. But Steve Martin was another sort of influence on me as well, that he. And then there was a comedian. Okay, this you're not gonna, you're never gonna know this guy. This is a guy named Roger Ray, who is maybe the most an obscure comedian that was a presentation house comedian. He played Radio City like before the movies. Radio City was the last presentation house. They so and he had like this bulletproof 18 minute bit. Explain that. Presentation houses were after vaudeville. They had these big movie theaters in New York and in Chicago and in Detroit. Like and the Ziegfeld. No, after the Ziegfeld, where they would play a movie, and then after the movie, there'd be like a variety show for an hour or something like that. Or a or like, oh my God, the Count Basie Orchestra is going to play or something like that. So that was like a big part of entertainment for years after vaudeville. How many years up and from when to when? I would say presentation houses started, well, obviously with sound movies. So it's like probably 20, 30s, early 30s, 
done probably the end of the 40s. Radio City is the, was the last one. This is where Roger Ray worked. And so that went into the 60s. Into the 60s. They were doing a movie and a show. You know, I mean, obviously. So, so anyway, he played the xylophone. And there's footage of him on YouTube if you want to check it out. I just loved what he did. I love his whole act was very meta and so anyway, so it was Roger Ray, the Victor Borga, Steve Martin, and then when I started doing stand up, Kelly Rogers. Of course. You know that guy? Okay, yeah. yeah. He played guitar and I was like, God, I really like this. I really I feel like it's extra added value. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm yep. going to mention some names. Yeah. I want you to tell me what comes to mind. It okay. could be a short story, a little something, okay. a little tidbit here and there. Yep. Let's go. All right. We ready? Okay. Uh, please, I hope the first one is Millard Fillmore, the president. Is it? Don Rickles. Uh, By the way... One of the reasons I was so excited to sit next to you and talk about really being embarrassed. Right. You know how YouTube just puts stuff in front of you sometimes yeah. and yeah. you're like, what is this? What? And I, I no one knows that. Why would you? That's what YouTube does. What is this? What's <laughs> that's, that's, that's their what's log. Happening? That's their algorithm. And I just see on the side, dinner with Don. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I don't know what. Can I not know what Dinner with Don is sponsored by the AARP? <laughs> and I click on it, and it's like him and Kimmel and just so many different... Sarah did Sarah one. and yeah, just yeah. such great stuff. And then I saw that you were one of the producers on yep. it. So anyway, I just want to give you props for that. I loved it. Got to meet Don Rickles only one time in Montreal, but I, it was an honor, so... Incredible story uh, about him is that not incredible. I mean, his life is an incredible story, and also, like Rodney, made it rather late. You know, he had a very weird act he would do with a, a, um, I don't know, like a bubble over his head, and would do this Peter Laurie monologue, like, and didn't do well until he was like, oh, okay, I'm going to start insulting the crowd. And then there was a place um, down in um, Florida that he did did Murray something and then so anyway no I just I this this guy brought me on to help produce Don Rickles last things he ever did in show business and that was dinner with Don so in a way I kind of killed him I kind of murdered Don how Rickles. long did it take to shoot each episode because wow. they're like 10 minutes long it took a while we got about we did about 30 minutes with each person that's not bad. Yeah, no, he was pretty good. Sometimes, How many did he do in one sitting? Oh, uh, we would we tried to do two, two maximum, two was maximum, uh, but uh, he was really not in great shape. Yeah, and so we ended up like doing one. He would get up for that, and then, but he was, but I saw him in Vegas on his sixtieth birthday. I'm older than sixty now. Do a show on his sixtieth birthday, like it. I, I want to say the Sahara, but I don't know. You know, it's a little room and a, some singer opens for him. And that's when he did that. You know, he always had a band behind him. And he would sing and stuff. And I'm a nice guy. Do you know any of that part of his act? 
Would he be canceled today? I don't think so because I, for some reason, I think that there's a generational uh, get out of jail free card. Do you remember the comic relief where oh, yes, the microphone I do. broke and he yes. threw the microphone on the ground Man. and rolled it over, and there was an African American uh, stage manager who said, "Fetch." Yeah. Now he got in trouble for that. Were you there for that? I was there, but I wasn't. I didn't know he got in trouble. Oh, he did get in, in trouble. Shock. Yeah. No, he got in trouble for that. And that was the first time where he was like, oh, I'm not even fitting in with this, but I just loved his mind. I loved his mind, and he did something he wanted to do. It was basically a, this. It was a podcast, except there was a meal. He at least had the courtesy to give somebody some food. It would have been nice to have a little Italian food during this, but no, this is good. Sorry, no, so I'm depressed not, now. I'm not a confident comedian. You know, I grew up in Florida. You know, I started ventriloquism. No, I'm cheating my whole career with these oh, little gimmicks. <laughs> I want to be the equivalent of uh, Carrot Top. It's nice. <laughs> Feels nice. Thanks for having me on the podcast. <laughs> you are not the equivalent. <laughs> no, you, you, actually, that's a compliment. You love Carrot Top. Carrot Top. I love the originality. <laughs> yeah, so do I. So do I. I like him. But you're not like Carrot Top. He's, he's confident. He is. So, uh, <laughs> oh, look, he's playing along. So, God, I'm gonna, he's saying he's saying. This is awful. No, this is me. This is me. Mel Brooks. Well, that was a career high. That was a career high. Now, one of the weird things, this is a door that opened to me that I didn't expect to open, which was writing for award shows. And that happened indirectly because I was opening for Jimmy Fallon when they found out that he was going to be hosting Late Night. So he brought me on and I ran his monologue room for the first year. So that, and then I wrote when I was there, the award show for the Writers Guild of America East back in New York. And I was like, it's pretty good at it. And then when I came out here, I would write the Independent Spirit Awards and stuff. So um, writing the, okay, let me get this right. Creative Arts Emmy Awards. Do you want to explain what that is? No. Okay, the Creative Arts Emmy. It's not the real <laughs> Emmys. It's the Emmys for everyone kind of below the line, and they have a couple, like, for makeup, for the, the you know. Yeah, the below the line is just the people who work behind the... the yeah, it's, it's not an insult. I didn't mean it in the... In, so anyway, Brooks uh, is going to... Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is going to... Not all of us call him Brooks. No, I don't know him. I don't know Mel Brooks. Um, and... He's going to present an award right at the top of the show. So I'm, I wrote him something. I sent it off to him. He kind of liked it. An hour and a half before the show, he gets there. He's like, ah, I think we can do better than this. Like, come on into my room. I'm like, me? He goes, yeah, yeah, come on in. So we sat down. Mel Brooks went just like this, except this gentleman right Tell me your name again. Wes. Wes. Wes wasn't there staring at me, making me self-conscious. So he, it's just, this is the writer's room. Mel Brooks, Wayne Fetterman from Plantation, Florida. And we spend a half an hour punching up what he wants to do, back and forth, riffing, write it down, da 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 that. And then he did it, and then afterwards, this is going to sound like I'm bragging, and I really don't like to brag, seeks me out, because, hey, we did well. We did well. We did, what kind of generosity is this? He goes, uh, do you want to take a picture? So it was like, yeah. 
So it puts it, yeah, I put my arm around and we take a picture. You know, I'm just trying, please God. Yeah, I'm not blinking. You know, many times you're taking a good picture and like, I look terrible. But I'll send you the picture and then that was it. And he was so happy that we created that together. And I was just like, what just happened? And I haven't spoken to him since. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that was, that's one, that's a career highlight, by the way. That is one of my career highlights. Incredible. Bob Newhart. All right. Bob Newhart. My inspiration in comedy. Yeah, I saw you have the albums out there, right? That was my first, the driving instructor routine. Oh, was the first routine I ever did on stage. What? You, you lifted it? Like Mrs. Maisel style? No, I said I'm going to do an homage to Bob Oh, Newhart. okay. You said that before you went on stage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know, and I, got, I, I was telling uh, Mike Rowe that after I did and I killed... The host in Boston took me aside and he said, listen, can I give you some advice? I said, sure. He said, when you're doing somebody else's bit, just take the bit. Don't mention their name. Oh, interesting. And that's when I started writing my own stuff. So, gosh, this is so harsh. <laughs> so harsh. Okay. So, obviously, we all know who Bob Newhart is. I never met him. I did The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon in New York. So, you were writing this, and you did no, a... No, no. No, this is after I did, did Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, okay. And then years later, he had me on The Tonight Show. So I do my set with, I cheat, I use the piano, I'm cheating. And, but one of my bits is my first time at the 99 cent only store. And I do it this way. I do it like under like, oh my God, it's really dark in here. What are these people? Like, you know, inner monologue. So I do that. That's total stand up, something you might appreciate. Do the this show goes okay. I'm still I can still see I'm nervous when I look at the tape. Anyway, a couple weeks later I get an email from Bob Newhart's daughter. He loved the set, loved it. Just wanted to reach out and say that he loved the set. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Then a month later, Bob Newhart reaches out to me. Oh no no no! Bob Newhart was on the Creative Arts Emmys. I was like, I was that guy. He goes. I can't believe how much I loved that bit. Okay, so already my head is whatever, you know. Confident. Why is he complimenting You're me? Confident. Why is he complimenting me like this is then calls me, guess what? He has me punch up a bit of his that he's been trying to crack the code for thirty years on. Maybe forty years. Like one of his long bits. He couldn't figure out an ending for it. So he goes, I'll pay you. I was like, You don't have to pay me. He goes, No, I'll pay you. He goes, If you if you come up with it, I'll pay you more and then I came up with it. You cracked the code. Yeah. Yeah, I gave him a couple, three options. And he was like, uh, and he, here's, all right, I've never told this to anyone. I hope I'm not. I was like, you don't have to pay me. This is just ridiculous that I'm talking to you on the phone and we're emailing back and forth. And he's like, no, 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 take the, take the money. I go, I go, what if like uh, Jack Benny, when you were a kid, that was his idol, said, hey, kid, can you help me with this bit? He goes, uh, and he was like, yeah, I make him pay me for it. He was like, it's interesting, huh? Chicago. He's a Chicago kid. Like, yeah, I'd make him pay me for it. Great story. <laughs> Great story. I've never, yeah, I hope that's, do you, do you feel like that? I don't oh, it's incredible. Umail Nanjiani. Well, I did this crazy thing. The called, Wayne Fetterman International Film Festival. Yes, yes. That was my own film festival I did out here. And I would have comedians... Come on, 
pick a film they loved or were inspired by, screen the film in front of a crowd, and then do a Q&A with me afterwards and with the crowd about why they liked this film, did it still hold up. Just a fun, great night. Basically using the fame of other comedians to sort of sell out this theater. And um, so Kamel picked this horror movie and that's the, that's the first time I really got to meet him and talk to him a lot. And he was, uh, I think it was, God, I can't remember the name of that stupid movie, but he loved it. And then the director of the movie, because Kamel always has like, you know, this kind of, you know, this thing about him, this aura is the word I was looking for. So the director shows up and then he comes up on stage. It's just a great, he's so, he's so incredibly fun. But, uh, but I had a lot of great people do this. Sarah did that. She did Crimes and Misdemeanors. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yes. Yeah. Patton Oswalt, Zach Galifianakis. They all did it. What were their films that they did? Okay. Um, Patton Oswalt did, he did a double feature actually. He did um, The Bad News Bears and uh, maybe it's just The Bad News Bears. And then Sasha did this movie called Clune, which was a, do you know that movie? It's like a Swedish comedy in the style of Curb Your Enthusiasm. He loved that, so that was a blast. Margaret Cho did um, this John Schlesinger movie from 1965 called Darling. Never, never seen it. Julie Christie, Julie, yeah, Julie, incredible performance. She was so knowledgeable about the film. But this is what's amazing about you. That yeah. you, again, I think the audience should know. What? Okay. So you're doing your own film festival. <laughs> right. Okay? Yeah. And you're not going through agents and publicists That's and whatever. Correct. And you're getting Sasha Baron Cohen, Kumail Nanjiani, Aziz Ansari, Tig Notaro, Kathy Griffin... Patton Oswald, Gary Shandling, Zach Galifianakis, yeah, Margaret Cho, Bill Burr. Just Burr, a, you want to know what Burr showed? What did he show? Could you like Burr, right? You're yeah, a fan. I, started, I, I used to represent him for about seven years. Oh my god, that's so great! I, I love him. I love him so much. The special from I just texted him because my son, you know, there's distance learning, and right, my right, son's right, like fifteen right. or sixteen. Right. And you don't know how old your son is, Barry. Anyway, he's supposed to be in school. On the right, right. And I just go out of my home office, and he's on the couch with a blanket over him, laughing his ass off, watching Bill's Burr special from London. Oh, yes. And I take a little video of it, him playing hooky, watching Bill Burr, and I send it to Bill. Is that Royal Albert Hall? Is yeah, that... something yes. like that. Ah. And Bill writes back, yeah, tell him to watch a tell next. <laughs> The genius of geniuses, David yeah. Tell. Right? Oh, Am best. I wrong? The best. And this is what, you know, I wanted to The share... genius of geniuses. Like, uh, unbelievable. Like, and... this is what I, 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 you know, I know you, I'm going to tell you about uh, uh, Bill Burr's movie in a second, but I can't believe you got to see David Tell all those years. Is that peak at Tell, or was he always at that level? Yeah, like, I feel like he got a chance to start in my club and the clubs around yeah. there and and he hosted the open mic there oh, so did? did so did ed helms and yeah, uh, a yeah. bunch of other people like that but but the thing that i notice about dave that surprises me more than anything yeah is something that you'll appreciate let's not be assumption it's not making an assumption 
Bumping mics. Yeah, yeah. This is what I appreciate about bumping mics. Yeah. They break the rule. One person is normally the straight person. Oh, yeah. One person's not. They alternate straight and... They set the other guy up. How many, how many the times The Scholar Brothers that? do that a little bit. I feel like the Scholar Brothers... Is one guy? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Maybe they'd be upset at me if I no, said no, that. No, 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 no. I think, I mean... I, I could... feel like consider them as being like one guy and two bodies. Yeah, yeah. But the alternating is like incredible of it's... how that works. No, and... it's... I, I, I hold a tell in the highest esteem. I, this is going to sound like hyperbole. But when I watch them, I'm like, oh, this is, must have been like watching Miles Davis in a little club when I watch him uh, down in cell or something. Am I wrong like, about that? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm not overstating it. It's it's so great. And he does, it does, it's almost like he doesn't know or he doesn't let you know ever that he knows. or But just an incredible. I remember, I probably said it probably 20 times oh. on this podcast. But you I don't re- have to say it again. No, for you I will because oh, I, I remember the first joke I ever saw him do. And if you probably remember every joke that he's done, but... The one where he says, the first joke I saw him do was, I went to the Gap with my friend. He comes out of the dressing room wearing overalls. He looks at me, he says, hey, Dave, what, go with these? And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. I'll tell you what, don't go with those. Jobs and women. (laughs) I don't know, maybe a banjo, go with those or whatever. But there's so many things I remember, even like bits, even like I can't believe even like punchlines of yeah. things I laugh at where I don't even remember the beginning of it, like where he says his father used to beat him with a globe. <laughs> you know, I don't even know if it, the old, I don't right, know what right. the setup was. We didn't travel. My dad was angry. He used to beat me with a globe. I don't know what the setup yeah, was. Yeah, I just that's... remember the globe. Anyway. Oh, my God. All incredible. Right. So anyway, real quickly, Bill Burr, your client. My former client. Your former client. Uh, depict this is the movie that inspired him The Dirty Dozen oh yeah Robert Aldrich 1967 yeah. so it's like that was fun to watch and apparently he used to watch it with his dad so it was like a great you know I was really I was so happy he did it so happy Adam Sandler well I don't know I mean The Sandman is one of the great show business phenomenons of all time. Of all time. I don't know why he doesn't get the credit. I don't know why he hasn't won a uh, Mark Twain award yet. I don't I, What else does he need to do? <laughs> what else does that guy have to do? I mean, it's... And... And he's the nicest guy in the world. He's a sweetheart. Competitive. He is a competitive guy. And then he... But he... We did a college together where he opened for me. So... At um, St. John's. Do you know that college on Long Island? How'd you follow his guitar at the end? No problem. Just some comedians, and you know this, are just touched. And like right from the beginning, like, okay, these aren't even great material. Crowd loves him, but more important than the crowd, women loved him. Women loved him right from the get-go. And so he could, like, do no wrong. He could do, and he'd do stupid characters. He'd make fun of it. He almost reminded me of a frat brother who was like on a dare, like, I'm as funny as those. I'll get up on stage. Like, just like with not a care in the world. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. 
It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. And so, and to this day, he has that same persona, right? With the shorts, he goes on that show. What do you think? Did you see his special? The last special? Yeah, I know it's you? cheating. It's a lot of music, but it's yeah. incredible. No, I mean, I love, that's what he does, though. That's, that's what he does. That's what he loves and doing. And he's not afraid to be sentimental. Like, you know, about his but dad. I remember, but I go ahead, tell me. But I remember seeing him do stand-up, uh, getting ready to go on at Catch a Rising Star. And when he was just doing stand-up, he was just about to go on. Packed room, and Rodney got introduced. And he's like, and then Rodney went on for like, 40 minutes or something and then Rodney got off and the whole crowd cleared off and, yeah. and Adam went on there was like 10 people there and I'll never forget he did that line that comics will do sometimes where right. he said hi I'd like to I'd like to thank Rodney Dangerfield for for opening up for me <laughs> and, and but he went on and he got the crowd and he yeah. killed I've always I always loved uh, Adam but I think stand-up is a is an art form that's a very there's a lot of purists that hold the keys to the kingdom of opinion. Dennis Miller, even though nowhere near as prolific in all areas of show business as, right. as Adam Sandler, people will always remember the White Album and the black and white special and oh what that God. guy did. And By the way, you know who was in the crowd for that special? Ted Sarandos. He was at University of... Arizona, Arizona State or whatever it is. There, wow. It's ASU, right? Yeah. yeah. Ted Sarandos, by the way, the president of Netflix. And uh, a huge comedy nerd. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I did not know that. It all comes for a full yeah, circle. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Wow. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> this is the weirdest. By the way, I've never had an interview where someone just... Doesn't even ask a question. Just looks at me and says a name. What do you think this is going to be? This fly by night well, I love thing it. where it's I love it. unoriginal. I'm trying to do something different here. Do it again, dude. Let me hear your Eddie Murphy thing. Just say it in that dramatic way you did it. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Oh, uh, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> well, I was at the comic strip just when that was all breaking. He like he broke like the year before I started hanging out there. I actually went to his 21st birthday party at a place called Studio 54. Wow. In the early 80s. This is not heyday Studio 54, the 70s. This was like when it was re-thing. 
But still. I'm sorry, I'm smiling. I'm just picturing you at Studio 54. Yeah, couldn't have more out of place. Could there be somebody more out of the kid from Plantation? Like, didn't doing, know how to dress. Doing coke off a mirror. Yeah, just the worst, the worst. Uh, so, but... <sighs> Eddie Murphy and I are at the comic strip, and we're both huge Jerry Lewis fans, right? Jerry Lewis is going to be either hosting The Tonight Show or... I think he's hosting The Tonight Show. So we're going to watch it at the at the at there and um and i remember when jerry was walking over to this is such a great memory walking over to the the desk area there's a little riser and just before he does it jerry i mean eddie turns to me he goes he's gonna trip and then sure enough he trips on the way i'm so he, he's like a really smart guy like Incredible. really smart guy but uh yeah, Murphy is... What can you say about Eddie Murphy? <laughs> I'm looking forward to his comeback in stand-up. It was supposed to happen last year. And... Jerry Seinfeld. Well, I call him I call him the machine because he was very inspirational for all of the young comedians who wanted to write good, clean, sharp, hard jokes. Like where every word and breath <laughs> like it was it's like a master class watching that guy work especially during that time period and then i got to open for him at the very first um aspen comedy festival when showtime is doing it before hbo i don't know if you remember that no yeah oh look at this mr i've been through it all i know everybody i'm the uh, industry standard what is the name of your show yeah i'm the industry standard here I just remember HBO, that's all. Yeah, no, the Showtime had it first. Um, and we did a show, Oxygen. They gave us Oxygen backstage, you know, because we did the show. I opened for him. And then as soon as the show was over, I was like, good. He goes, ah, I'm ready to do another show. And we only had one show that night. I was like, okay. <laughs> and that was right before Seinfeld started. He was so excited about it. Is well, that a good story? That's yeah. stupid. No, it's good. Bill Hicks. Well, Hicks, there was a club called Igby's. Of course, in L.A. Yes, and that was one of the clubs that used me when I came out here. And I got to open for him once there. And this is, and, you know, I don't know if you know how he ended his sets back then, but he would, uh, he would pretend to get assassinated because he was telling the truth so much. And then it would play, like, some John Lennon song or something. It was weird. Uh, but... I loved the guy, loved his rhythm, loved the whole, all, all of it about him. This is what we talked about, opening lines. He hated when comedians came on stage and said, how are you doing? He's like, can you have all day? Come up with an opening line. Come up with an opening line. And I would ne I never, do, I never do how you're doing. No. And, he, and he respected me for that. Maybe not for the ukulele thing, but go no. ahead. What now, can I see if I remember... Bill Hicks opening. Let me see if I can remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'd take the cigarettes out. He'd take out a cigarette, light it. He'd have the scotch or whatever it was on the thing mm -hmm. with a little piece of paper. And he'd light the cigarette. 
And he'd take a puff and blow it out, and he'd say, let me plaster on this phony smile and plow through this worn-out, hackneyed material one more time so I can fill the empty void in all of your lives. That was his opening line. Perfect, perfect. Wasn't that his opening line? Yes, that was his opening line. And just, can I, while we're talking about opening lines, can I tell you my second, my maybe my favorite opening, my two favorite were Sam Kennison, which he had a number of openings. One, he would come out and pretend he was blind, and we go, I did it, I fucked it until I was blind. So that was one of them. <laughs> Just like staggering around the stage. You know you know that some people, they can roll their eyes up into their, so uh-huh. you can see the whites, like, I did it, I fucked until I was blind. But the second one he said, he walks on and says, ha ha, you know, he had that little laugh, ha, throw down the mic chain, he goes, so, always on last, so, uh, you saw a lot of uh, comedians here tonight, I assume. Uh, I'm a little different than the other comedians uh, that you saw earlier. You may want to see them again. Talk about a story. Talk about like setting the stage like, oh, okay, buckle up, we're in for it. Oh. You may want to see them again. I love to come see them oh, again. Jesus Christ. And then, and then I saw Steve Martin do, of course, you know, genius level. Okay, the crowd is, ah, they, they show the short film, the absent-minded waiter, the crowd's going nuts. Wait, They're, this is for? Opening line, opening line. For Steve Martin. For Steve Martin. Again, I don't know Steve Martin that well. Blew my mind. Comes out. No, no, no. You hear, ah, absent-minded waiter, his short film, wins it on. Play that. All of a sudden, you hear his voice backstage. Oh my, oh my. And just that, crowd goes berserk. Just hearing his voice, okay? Oh my, wow. This could be the worst looking crowd I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and then he literally, the crowd goes nuts, just hearing his voice. And then he, he obviously can see, like, look at that guy in the front row with the leisure suit. <laughs> what kind of balls you have to, not balls, what, what kind of gumption do you have to come to a show dressed in the, like that? This is going to be the worst show. I can't believe I accepted this date. This is the worst. And then you hear, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Martin. And then he comes out like this. Place goes, but grabs the microphone and grabs the mic and goes, good evening. This is the, you're the greatest crowd I've ever seen in my life. I'm so happy to be here. Like immediately the fake phony show business. It's similar to Hicks in a weird way now that I think about it. Unbelievable. Yeah. Lily Tomlin. Well, Lily Tomlin did, for some reason, my podcast. And she's the only one that's done my podcast uh, that's been a Mark Twain prize winner. And I just spoke, I wanted to talk to her about very early on. I don't know if you know this. I was very, we did an episode about the Playboy Club. That circuit that starts in 1960 and like fizzles out in the 70s. But it was a big thing for a lot of comics. And so I wanted her experience in that. She goes, no one ever asked me about this. I'd be happy to talk about it. So that was incredible. And then she just talked about her one-woman shows because we also did another episode about comedians who've gone to Broadway. So I'm curious about that. And she's been to Broadway twice Huge success, appearing nightly in 77, and then that world, you know. So uh, 
So she talked about that and what it's like and working at the improv in New York and trying to fit in there. And she said that Bud didn't like girls back then and like he would only put on male comics and it was really interesting. And so I guess this was before Elaine Boozler kind of broke through at that club. And she was, I mean, I just, what, what do you think of Lily Tomlin? I can't even. I can't uh, even. I can't even. Maybe I hold her in too high esteem or you're something. You're a very but... lucky man. Now you hold her in the exact esteem. I, I do. You think she deserves that esteem, right? It's legendary. Legendary. And sometimes what happens is, unfortunately, yeah. you become famous for a certain character and right. people don't let go. But she's a great actress and a great comedian as well. And people don't see enough of what she did in her stand-up and what she was doing. So... Let's see, Robin Williams. Well, I have a very two incredible, not incredible, three incredible, one sad, two incredible, one sad. Um, I'm at the comic strip. Remember I told you I worked at the comic strip before I could get my sad card, early 80s. Mm -hmm. We had an improv group at the comic strip Monday nights. We'd do improv. Guess who's in town shooting a movie about the Russian? What is that name of that movie where he's uh, comes to the defects to America? I can't think of the name of that movie right Neither now. Can I, uh, I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah. So um, Moscow on the yes, Hudson. Moscow on the Hudson. Thank you, thank you. Um, so every Monday night, who starts showing up? Robin Williams, like the king of improv. This is post Morgan Mindy. This is like. And we just do improv with us. So now I'm on stage doing improv with the guy who's like sort of revitalized the improv form in America for stand-up. So thank God I have some videotape of that. I know that sounds egotistical, but it's incredible. So that happens. Then years later, I'm at the Throckmorton Theater. He comes up. We do the show together up there, the Mark Pitta's gig up there in... Uh, as that the, was a great gig. Yes, yeah, yeah, Mill Valley, right? So we're hanging out backstage, she's doing a thing, you know, just talking. I, I can't talk to that guy. You know, I just can't. It's too much. But then the last time I saw him was outside UCB on Franklin. And he was drinking full vodka, full like like a bottle of absolute vodka in a bag, drinking it outside I was like I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it and that that's just about the time I think he had was getting that new sitcom where he played an ad guy or something so he was doing he was dropping into UCB quite a bit and I was like you know I mean I know I'm not a confident comedian but I don't I don't really have those kind of demons that I have to deal with all the time and I was just like it just broke my heart to see him like that and I, I don't know, incredible. <laughs> what, a, what a tornado of talent. Absolutely. Would you say that's a? Absolutely. Did you know him? I met him a few times, but I didn't the know him The comic relief well. thing, I saw you have a yeah. comic relief yeah. thing. Was that part of it? Yeah, I've met him a few times, but nothing like I never really had a relationship with him. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, running the marathon. <laughs> oh my God. Somebody did some research. Was that no? <laughs> yes, that is incredible. That is here. not. That's not. Yeah, 
1985. When people lie about their times on the marathon, it shocks me because five hours, 13 minutes, 15 seconds is in my brain. There's no, for me to lie about that would be insane. Uh, I've run one marathon, completed it, and that's the last time I've run ever. How many times did you stop and walk during the marathon? Ran, kind of ran, walked most of the first 17 miles, and then I would say half and half run and walk. It was so painful, Barry Katz, so painful at the end. It was just as painful to walk as it was to run. You don't understand, if you're running five hours, that's way more damage to your body than someone who does it in two hours and 13 minutes or two How hours. How long did it take you to recover? couple days I mean my, yeah I mean it was my one regret you know regrets I've had a few if I may quote Francis Albert Sinatra I know you're a big fan of his is that I didn't run in Converse people told me not to run in Converse and I wish I had because I'm a lifetime Converse since the second grade in Maryland I, I they're my shoe and someone says you can't run in that so I bought something called New Balance they were like the running shoe from Cambridge, Massachusetts. A what? Really? Mm -hmm. Stupid. Another stupid decision from Wayne Fetterman. Got it. Yeah. Fine. Tell our audience. Oh no, here it is. This is the wrap up? Just tell me, is this the wrap up? George Carlin and Judd Apatow. Uh. <laughs> well, Judd has been a you know incredible friend and booster my whole since I came out to California. Remember with the SAG card? He's the first one that booked me in California at USC, which I'm now adjunct professor. Crazy, right? Um, Judd, of course, in is a student is booking comedy. He's like you. He's like I want to run the show. Guess who's running the show these days? Judd Abbott. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, no he <laughs> ain't wrong. So, uh, so he was like you. I mean, he started out as a stand-up, and then was like, "I think I can. <laughs> I think I have other skills." Incredible dude. Incredible. Then uh, went back and did a special and killed it. Yeah, yeah. He still that was a funny dude. Anyway, uh, we did the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, and then the which I just want to share. I was hoping you would say that is. Oh. To me, one of the most beautiful love letters to comedy and to a person who was a genius in this business than anything I've ever seen. I would recommend that to anyone and in the world to see that. If I could recommend one documentary on comedy, and believe me, I've been a part of some that I wouldn't recommend. And when I watched that documentary, I was, I was really proud that I was in the business. Yeah, that's that's the highest compliment. That's the highest compliment I've ever heard about that special. I just I was proud to know you and him, and I was proud to to know Gary not as well as you guys did, unfortunately. I was proud to have met him a few and times. You, and uh, you sure you don't want to tell us those documentaries you're not proud of that you're in? You sure, you don't want to just run them? I'm sure the people watching this can can look them up. <laughs> okay. And listen. To okay. Your proudest moment in show. Can I say two things about it? Is that I allowed to? You can say anything. Well, I don't know what the rules are here. I don't want to get kicked off. There. Apparently, you know, there's no rules. I'm always nervous about getting. Uh, I just loose. you come here, I say yes. Okay. Are you gonna yell at me because I said I yes guess. to you? <laughs> like he turns it around. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, should I be penalized for saying yes to you for this interview? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one of the things, this is going to sound stupid, that has nothing to do with show business, that I'm very proud of, and it's going to make me sound a little arrogant, maybe, and I'm a little worried about that because I like to be the humble guy, right? Is I've never one day a dime of unemployment the entire run. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, and I've been eligible, you know. So it was just like, you know. Jesus, I'm on unemployment right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I've never taken, and I know I just, and people are like, that's stupid. You deserve it. You paid into it, but it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with like, oh, I'm standing on my own here. I'm going to do this on my, and we'll see. You know, I mean, I. So that's one thing that I'm very proud of in a very quiet, I've never really told anyone that. I hope that doesn't make me sound like an arrogant person. Oh, that's great. Um, what was the question? What was my most proudest? The proudest moment in show business. I, it's just a weird question to ask. What am I proud of? I know I'm being very specific. I can tell you a highlight, but that's not proudest, right? You just want something, what are you looking for? Tell me what you're looking for. What made you feel like the first thing you said? Well, there was one, I have to say, it's a career highlight, but when I got cast on to Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I, now this is gonna sound terrible, but I was just, in, I was just locked into that passive aggressive character so much like the guy that seems nice, but is terrible. Like that's the, and so, and just Larry was just cracking up. I mean, take after take after take, just like couldn't believe, and I couldn't believe I was making him laugh. And I was just like, wow. And that he loved us and we came up to me, not only, I mean, during the day, of course, but like years later, how much he loved it. I want you back on the show. Brought me back on the show. We did the same basic bit again, you know, seven years later. And he just, and he kept apologizing to the crew. I know we're running late. And it was just like, okay, I just really think of him as sort of a gold standard guy as far as comedic sensibility. And so that I was able in the arena to sort of like go toe to toe with him. No problem. And I was like, I was kind of proud that I was able to pull that off. Another genius. Oh, man. <laughs> Jesus. Incredible, There's right? A common theme here for you? Yeah, I get it. You, I know you hold me in higher esteem than I do. I get it. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.